0: Hello, my name is Mike Diedrich, and this is the Veterans for Peace radio show of vfp92.org. This broadcast is on um, broadcast on KODX 96.9. It's also available on our website. And with me today on the day after Mother's Day is Kelly Waddington, uh, who is a Army chaplain veteran of Iraq and a mother of three. That's right. Three. That's right. Who is, uh, we'll start out by talking about, she said something earlier about Mother's Day and what that sort of uh, meant to her or didn't mean to her. So um, you can start there, Kelly. Uh, Mother's Day, 2023. Mother's
1: Day, 2023. As, we, as I alluded to yesterday when we had a brief chat and email about it. Has so many layers, like more layers than I could have imagined a Mother's Day would have. So part of it for me is very sweet because I have three lovely kids. So I enjoy spending time with them. Uh, and I have a wonderful mother who is still with us. So I got to chat with her. My sister is a mother. So we were able to have some family time, connect together via FaceTime Uh, because we're a bit separated at the moment geographically. Um, so, So that part was really wonderful. I serve in a congregation as a pastor, and one of our women surprised everyone and brought a big bouquet of flowers and handed one out to each mother in the congregation, but also articulated a really nice way of thinking about it, that anyone who has contributed and nurtured the life of a child is, in fact, a mother. Um, so I thought that was a nice way to frame Mother's Day. Um, but there's more layers, right? There's, there's the mothers who don't have their children with them today, well, yesterday. So there's the mothers, you know, who have lost children in more natural ways, but then there's also the complete tragedy that we are experiencing with our mass shootings. It also... Was the one-year anniversary of the uh, Buffalo, Texas shooting. So these layers of there's layers of loss on top of the layers of gratitude, and I felt all of them yesterday. So this Mother's Day just it was all the things.
0: So you mentioned uh, earlier that in a conversation that you were you had been following the Uvalde mothers. And, yeah. Um, uh, well, how difficult was that? Yes. Yeah, the-
1: so, so, a number of the parents who have lost children in shootings, as you may know, have created some very powerful organizations the Every Town Organization, Moms Demand Action. So, they've got a collective voice and a collective movement that they are contributing to, as well as their own individual stories. And so a number of them have chosen to share those stories publicly, kind of day in and day out in the social media world of what it's like living, you know, with the horrific loss of a child in their classroom or in a place that should be so safe. Um, So I did, as part of my own, kind of trying to be very present and not turn away from the things that are really difficult. Um, I do follow them and some of what the parents share. And of course, it's heartbreaking. Um, But but this was the first Mother's Day for, you know, a handful of folks and the ways that, you know, there, there is an emphasis on Mother's Day of appreciation and sweetness, right? And so that was just missing for a number of my mother siblings in this country.
0: Yeah. Well, we uh, we've had you on the program before. We know that you're an Iraq veteran and a pastor or a you know, pastor, but a chaplain. Did you know any other? Because um, you were a mother when you were in Iraq, weren't you? I was, yes. Do you know any other women there that were mothers who served with you, or do you know them? Yeah, there were a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah. so I was in a National Guard unit, which tends to just have a little bit of a broader reach and scope of folks and of demographics and of different stages in life, so it really was, I would call, a true snapshot of the Washington State community um, which was the unit I deployed with. Um, there were a lot of parents. There were a lot of mothers. Um, the mothers were some of the best soldiers. And I would say some of that is because they really had a wide capacity, a wide capacity for problem solving, like just a deep maturity and understanding. They, like, they knew how to prioritize. They weren't easily distracted. Um, so, uh, I mean, they were they were some of the most honorable folks that I would say I served next to. Uh, like, they just, you know, in, in a sense, could do it all. I mean, none of us really can do it all, but they really were some exceptional human beings.
0: So what were sort of the common problems or issues for mothers in, in uniform in Iraq?
1: I think... Some I th- one of the places where I got some insight into what this was like on my base at the time, and I think this was the case for a number of bases, but I don't know that for sure. Um, the USO ran a program. Now remember, this was almost fifteen years ago, so cell phones were not quite where they are at today. So the USO. Ran a program on base where on base in Iraq, where you could go and they provided you a children's book, and then they would record you reading the children's book, and then they would burn that to a DVD because that was how we did things still 15 years ago. Put the DVD and the children's book into an envelope, and then mail it home so that your own kids it's the proverbial like nighttime story so the parents were able to read these stories to their kids and then the kids would get both the books so they could follow along with the dvd and i asked uh, the woman who was running it running it i asked i said how does this usually go for the parents and the mothers (laughs) and she said You would think it would go really smoothly, but it ends up being a very emotional experience for most because they truly are in their soul doing double duty. You don't give up one part of your life just because you're in another situation or just because you're deployed. You you carry all of it all the time, even though your day-to-day tasks might be more focused on what's happening you know, in your deployment life. Um, But it was really interesting to hear that, that that was so meaningful because it was a way, it was a way just to keep one hand in the world, in another world. um, So that the return to that world, you know, kind of, it was not starting from scratch, you know, when the deployment was over.
0: So there were a, there were probably a number of single moms who were deployed as mothers, right? I
1: I would imagine yes. Um, I mean, like I don't know the statistics, but I do know that I mean families just come in all shapes and sizes, um, right? And when mom deploys, it pulls out in 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 the best case scenario, it pulls out the best in a family and an extended family to then be mom on the home front. Uh, And it can, and it does happen. And often it happens in really wonderful and beautiful ways. Uh, Yeah. So the single parents there's um, there are couples in the military married to each other. And so sometimes they end up either deployed at the same time or just with commitments at the same time. And so um, mom and dad, do become extended family and grandparents do become parents. And I think a lot of times it can be just a really nice extension of family. I mean, there are other ways it's particularly difficult, but it also can be, I think, I think it can really expand our understanding of the village that yeah. it takes to be a mother. And a
0: parent. Well, a friend of mine is actually his uh, sister was deployed to Iraq and, um, she was a single mom, but she had her kids fobbed off on her parents. and she spent well one tour over there, and then she was then she was considering re-enlisting. and her parents and her brother told them, "If you re-enlist, don't bother coming back here to this family." because <laughs> they were tired of taking care of those kids, and where's mama? you know." <laughs> they talked her out of it but you know i mean and if you're a national guard a woman the national guard you didn't have much choice it wasn't like you were a regular army where you were sort of you know expect to do whatever they want to do but a national guard they deployed a lot of people to iraq from the guard that were not there's well truly citizen soldiers and they weren't planning on picking up guns right right like
1: the citizen soldiers for sure had I would say a different kind of task over the past 20 years in the sense of there was a lot of juggling, uh, right? And a lot of keeping different balls in the air to include family, but also to include work life and careers um, on top of their military service.
0: So uh, when you, after getting in Iraq, you were there for a year as a, um, mother you spent what straight uh straight through one year there or did you have come back to states at all during that time
1: oh we i did come back to the states um and because we had two weeks r&r and in a very bizarre way we our family decided to go to disneyland uh, during my r&r so i was back for about 14 days and it was, it was an experience to be honest. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Like it was just existing in too many extreme worlds at the same. Uh, right. Like, I mean, one literally has the slogan, the best place on earth and one was closer to the worst place on earth. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say the worst, but right. But, but these two extremes, um, that I would not necessarily recommend anyone do that. I I would recommend Disneyland, but I would recommend it at a later point. Are you
0: talking about Iraq or Disneyland? (laughs) Both. Both. Well, uh, after spending a year in Iraq, uh, um, what sort of adjustment did you have to be, because you've got this family that you haven't seen much of in a year or so, what sort of adjustment did you have to make as a mom coming back?
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's a rebonding process that does get talked about, but I would say probably not enough. Uh, right? Like you don't really ever expect that bond with your own children to be disrupted quite in the way that it was, and it was for me. Um, to have to redo that kind of all over again. I would say it has some elements of the adjustments that moms make when they first have children, like it, like it's a rearrangement of your, your time, your social life, your psychological life, your emotional life, your physical life. It's just a rearrangement of kind of the whole salad bar. Uh, And I would say, it's on that level, the, the reintegration and the rebonding process, but now you're doing it with clearly children who have already been born. So you're doing it again. Um, and that part, just because it wasn't talked about, I think as much as it could be, I think some of that just made it difficult because you had to figure out what was the task in the first place. Like, like that, the work, the, you know, the work from birth till when I left and my kids were young at the time, that that was going to need to be redone. And I had done it once, so I, I did it again. But, but, but it's just, it's a process that, you know, then your other peers aren't going through. They're not rebonding with their own children.
0: Well, so when you came back, when you got out of the army, you fight after 10 years of active and guard duty you got out and you were were still a chaplain or no excuse me you were a pastor you became yeah so was that uh was that a difficult transition transition
1: um i was it it was a difficult transition in the sense well it had some different pieces of transition some of them were very common to what most go through in a redeployment transition. But the timing of my deployment and the timing of my return matched the economic collapse that the United States experienced in 2008 and 2009. So there's been some studies done on um, undergraduate students who graduated in you, in most, not so much 2008, because really the, the economic problem started a little bit later, but in 2009, um, the undergraduates who graduated then entered a workforce that was really quite different from their predecessors, even just a year prior. And so they had um, some significant challenges that just The rest of their peer group, you know, a year or two years before them, and then two and three years after them, they didn't experience. And so I returned from my overseas deployment in 2009, which was right around the same time. So I have a little bit of some empathy and some understanding of what some of those undergraduates went through, because I was also coming back kind of clean slate into an economy and in and, and a, a social situation that really was um, struggling, was kind of holding on tight for dear life. So, yeah, so I would say that the, that made the transition difficult in the sense of it was not the same like marketplace or kind of career field or economy as when I left 12 months prior.
0: Yeah. So... After you got out of the uh, army, you, did you actually, was it not too long that you actually became a, uh, got a, became a pastor with a congregation?
1: Yes, so I've served in both capacities, chaplain in the military, as well as civilian chaplain in some of our medical facilities in the Pacific Northwest, and then also as a pastor in a congregation. Um, so I've now I've gone back and forth between kind of those three primary areas, um, in the years since since I got out of the National Guard and have been a full time civilian now.
0: And those uh, congregations, as a pastor, did you, you know, as a woman veteran, uh, did you have some sort of uh, issues relating to your congregation, as as a woman and/or a veteran? particular say maybe with the women in the congregation or or otherwise
1: um you mean in the sense of like having peers or not having peers or something like that
0: all of that you know
1: yeah um i would say one of the surprising things that came out of it um i think that that kind of folks don't necessarily anticipate is that I kind of have some. I really enjoy talking with the Vietnam veterans, uh, and share and 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 share like some common ground with them, and really appreciate them in in a way that I think someone in my generation who hadn't deployed just might have a different kind of relationship.
0: Well, you didn't have too many Vietnam veterans in the congregations, did you?
1: Yeah, there's a lot. Really. Yeah. So, um,
0: so in coffee hour, you just talk about war stories.
1: Well, <laughs> sometimes,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but I think the Vietnam veterans had many more; they, they had a higher percentage of representation in their generation than the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans do. So, sometimes it's actually easier to bump into a Vietnam veteran than it is an Iraq or Afghanistan veteran.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. It's true for Veterans for Peace because we, we need more. We would like to see more Iraq Afghanistan veterans. And that's, it's just the difference in some generations and war, I guess, that's responsible for that. I, I hate to make any sort of generalizations about that, but it's something that all of us, particularly, a lot of the Vietnam veterans in BFP would like to see more um, participation. And, um, but I also mentioned sort of some notes that I made to you earlier. It says you know the uh, and I got sort of a, a taste of this when I when I came back and talked to my mother. But the mothers were who, ta- who are Ukrainian mothers and Russian mothers. They're sort of on different sides of the fence, but they're still mothers who are, their sons are going you know, killing each other's sons, basically. Um, and as I mentioned to you, when I first got back from Vietnam, I was an interrogator and analyst, and my mother was, was I, I didn't really give her credit for being as smart as she was. She said, uh, <laughs> "She said, uh, are you a war, war criminal? <laughs> right off the bat, sat down there having a cigarette on the couch, and she says, are you a war criminal? I said, well, well, you know, and as much as, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't personally torture anybody, but I knew that we were, people were tortured. And also but I was part of a war that by the loose definition of war is that it's a criminal act, generally speaking. Yeah. People tend to be uh, come out with less, less moral authority <laughs> that way than when they first went in. So, I mean, but I, and I took that to be... Uh, an indication of what how troubling it was for her, and also for my sister, who is a the mother. They're both gone now, of course. But uh, me being a soldier in Vietnam in a ba- very bad year when I was there, 1968, for the family and also my dad. he was pretty close-lipped about that. It was a um, very difficult for them, and, and my sister and mother. Several times they said, you know, how difficult it was seeing you over there, knowing that it was a a bad war or you know um, so I mean that's the family's family's experience is is, is uh, particularly mothers I mean it's a generational forever sort of a, a dynamic of sons and daughters really and go off to war and, I mean for your mother as a mother uh, what did she what did she what uh, did she well, how did you explain what you did in Iraq and what you saw or did you?
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say I explained it or talked about it very much kind of at all. Um, but my mother um, took very seriously, and I appreciated this a lot, her role as grandmother to my children, and she became the mother for the year that I was gone. Um, and, and took that very seriously. And I never worried about my own kids because I knew it was my mother taking care of them. Yeah. Right. Like, like that, that, that piece, I, I could not have asked for, you know, a better person to step in, into that space, uh, for that period of time, like than my own mom. So I was extremely lucky that she lived nearby, that she had the ability and the capability to do so. Um, so she was, yeah, she was really a superstar in that department. Um, a couple months ago, my oldest son, who's a senior in high school, as part of a school project he was working on, um, had had the assignment to be an English-speaking buddy, like a conversation partner with an overseas student who was learning english and so they connect by zoom and they have conversations and it's part is part of a larger program well turns out that his student that he was matched with his peer was a young man a student in ukraine
0: wow.
1: and and it just took on these these layers of of, of a sense of obligation to the greater humanity like i mean i said if you've ever dedicated yourself and put intention behind a school assignment this is the one to do it like i mean almost feeling like our whole family has an obligation to their whole family and i haven't even i hadn't even met this student because the the assignment was between the two of them um but feeling just an obligation of humanity to this, to to the student in Ukraine, to his mother and the work that I imagine she was putting in into raising him and giving him opportunities and making sure he had schooling happening, right? Like just this shared sense of, there are so many of us doing this all over the world. And do we have, you know, are we operating in enough solidarity with one another as we do it? Yeah.
0: Well, sort of. Uh, I don't want to beat 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 the point to, to death, but getting back to you and your mom, I mean, you never felt the need or the opportunity or to explain what you did and what you saw in any sort of detailed, or maybe she just didn't ask, or you didn't volunteer.
1: Yeah, I I felt zero. Well, and I'm I'm still only. I mean, not only, but I'm only. 15 years from my deployment. So, I mean, it, it's it's definitely getting to be, you know, a, a totally different chapter in my life. But at the time, and for a number of years to follow, uh, I had the experience of like, I was not going to bring any of that from my deployment home because I didn't want to destabilize the home front. Right. Right. Like just a right. I mean, I had enough, sense of mind to know, okay, this, this home front is worth protecting and investing in. And the last thing I wanted to do was destabilize it. Now, I do think that it, that's something a lot of soldiers and veterans have to work through because I don't think it's actually as destabilizing as we think it's going to be. Yeah. Right. But they but there's this belief that it will be. And so like, you, like there's a wall that's created like, okay, that's one world and this is another. And I'm intentionally not going to have them collide because the, the safety of the one that feels like home, if I ruin that, then there is no home, right? There is no tribe to belong to so it's, it's kind of, it's really kind of a, it's a, it's a whole internal psychological world, you know, to, to bring the two together, um, right. So that there is some internal synthesis and, you know, you're not kind of a split person with two different pieces of your life that they, they can eventually work and operate together. Um, but there were many years where I was like, no, like, What happened there. I'll just leave it there. Um, which, which in the long run is not, I I think it's not a bad coping strategy in the short run, but in the long run, it, it usually doesn't serve folks well. Uh,
0: And, and your sister, did you have the same sort of, uh,
1: yeah, I did because my sister also, she also was kind of like, Mom number two. Um, yeah. her, her kids are about the same age as my kids. so so she we, we were just tracking in a very similar kind of vein in life. So she was, yeah, she was kind of mom number two who was up to bat. So it was like my sister and my mom shared the the mom duties. Uh, so so it was a very similar kind of experience of like kind of this the two of them together made kind of a parental unit that i wasn't going to do anything to to kind of ruffle the nest um Mm -hmm. even though both of them are very capable people and could have handled anything that i would have said but it just didn't at the time there's this i don't know it's like a veil that just feels like no one in the civilian world would ever understand
0: right well, that's a common common feature of, of uh, right. most veterans who are generally and particularly ones that have been to war. You know, it took a few years for me to actually sort of tell my folks about you know a little bit more detail. But then again, I was a, a male and I didn't have any kids, and they knew that there was some issues because I was drinking a lot and and acting out and what have you. So that was the sort of um, communication if that's the communication that they understand <laughs> uh it's interesting though that the thing about uh being afraid to talk about it is, is because it was you know it's too painful for one thing uh you know i, I got some therapy for ptsd at the a va and one of the things that this counselor told me he says we're well, right about it and i did so i wrote, wrote a piece actually uh, um but sort of a this death of this girl that i, I witnessed and uh, so i gave it to him and he looked at me said that's great he says now write it again but i i before i did that i asked him he was a great guy i said is this going to make things worse and he says no probably not <laughs> but it's good <laughs> it's, it's classic uh therapy because yeah. you, you end up being your your own therapist in a way uh when uh as a, as a writer i mean I, i'm not Terrible experienced writer, but as a writer, you look at what you've written, and you—I mean, you—you you, you write quite a bit of it myself, and you look at it and say, "Well, you know, did I mean to say that, or do I need to say more Put that in a different way? Is am I being truthful?" You know. Yeah. So. It's, uh,
1: well, it's a way to get it, get the stories kind of out, it sort of in front of you, and to be able to look, um, uh, right, like in a like it's a separate thing from you and so you can look at it and analyze it and say okay the way i told that is that truthful
0: yeah and it can take the sting out of it too to make it less painful right you're not going to forget it really you don't forget anything but uh, that's one of the functions of uh, that sort of thing and are you any closer to writing about your experience say as as a Combat Airborne Chaplain in Iraq. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> well, um, to tell you the truth, you're the only Airborne Chaplain that I know. Do you know any other?
1: Any other Airborne Chaplains? Yeah. Um. Well, a lot of I know. A, I know a couple, but there's not that many. Only because I I got I spent a couple of months um, with the 82nd. And most of their chaplains are airborne. Yeah. Uh, but but not that not that many. Well, first of all, there's not that many chaplains. And then there's and then of that of that group, the ones that have a desire to go to airborne school is a little less.
0: Oh, it's particularly for women.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you haven't done any writing? I mean, I imagine you're kind of busy writing, you know, a fair amount of writing as a pastor, uh, but. Um...
1: Right. Um, yeah. And and I would say the writing, yeah, for a long time, like I wasn't going to write about it because I was just going to keep that world locked away in that world. Um, but there is a sense that I, I can feel it kind of creeping ever closer in the sense of I think some of what we're seeing domestically on the domestic front share some parallels with a war zone. Uh, and so it feels like, oh, some of those experiences may be coming to bear, not just historically uh, but that there's a there's a sense that they still have some life and some some words to share. Kind of not just with me, but with my wider community.
0: Well, in in the writing that I've done, I I, I look at it as part of it as as sort of you know, therapy, if you want, but also as an obligation, and and that's particularly true if you got a little fair if your experience in the military was was unique, as opposed to being a uh, eleven Bravo uh, driving around in a Humvee <laughs> or, or a Goosey, <laughs> which is not an uncommon sort of experience, but you know. Right, but that's not remarkable, really. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> what sort of insights can you? What are the insights you can you can bring to bear for being a light weapons specialist <laughs> outside <laughs> of shooting people? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Do those other things that I mentioned? You did you have some other sorts of things that you wish that uh-huh. had asked you or didn't? I
1: do. I I do. I brought something I want to share. Um I just need to pull it up. Um one of my okay, so in VFP um uh, together we've been and this is where I first learned about, about the work to reclaim Armistice Day on November 11th. Yeah. You know, to to reclaim the the armistice and the peace roots of that day. So Yes, it is about veterans, but it's, but it's got a, it's got kind of a broader and I think more meaningful, uh, aspect to it, um, which is the world war one armistice in the, in the sense of like that reclaiming, I would love to also reclaim mother's day one of these years with its original roots, which were in the work of peace. They were in the work of anti-war, um, a couple of the pre some of the precursors to mother's day one was with a woman who was running mother's groups, um, in West Virginia, but the purpose of these, of these, they were called friendship groups, but the purpose of them was to bring together mothers from the North and the South after the civil
0: war, um, um,
1: for reconciliation and for that healing to come through the mothers, um, of the families at that time. That is one of the precursors to what then became Mother's Day. And then there's another one from around the same time from Julia Ward Howe, who wrote this really amazing Mother's Day proclamation. And I'm just gonna read a couple sentences from it because it is, um, it's really wonderful. It starts off, it starts off. Again, in the sight of the Christian world, have the skill and power of two great nations exhausted themselves in mutual murder? Again, have the sacred questions of international justice been committed to the fatal mediation of military weapons? And then she goes on, and there's another section that says: and she says, "Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We, women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs."
0: That's that's great. Yeah, isn't
1: that great? Like that. I just think it's it's one of my favorite things. And for me, this particular. Mother's Day. Um, This was the first Mother's Day that I had an adult in my house. So my senior in high school turned 18 a couple weeks ago, um, which is great and exciting. But it also means the selective service. uh, Right, which was something that was bouncing around in my mind for a few years. But it's really real. Like, now it's really real. Like, he is past the age of 18. He's not 17 and a half. He's not 17 and three quarters. Like, there's something so definitive about it. And it weighs heavy on me, especially this sense of, I didn't raise my children. I didn't put in all of that work and effort and blood, sweat and tears so that they can just be trained to injure and murder someone else's sons, of which that mother just did the same thing, yeah. decades of work, you know, to produce a decent human, to, to then just kind of throw it all away. So that letter just was very poignant for me this particular year, um, you know, and I've got two more coming up, so so we will,
0: the, the selected. What is the, come, what was the title of that piece? of Julia Ward Howe?
1: It is called, its original title was An Appeal to Womanhood Throughout the World. That was its title. It's sometimes called the Mother's Day Proclamation. So, if you were to Google it, it should come up from either. Julia Ward Howe, for those who are in the Christian tradition, is the author of Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh, really? Yeah, which is how a lot of folks who are um, of a Christian religion may know her name or may recognize her. Uh, But she also wrote this amazing letter um, and called for something similar. A mother's day of peace was what she was calling for in this, in this letter. It was just after the civil war and some other conflicts were starting to heat up. And so in this space these two women you know began to call for peace for reconciliation it then turned into the mothers day that we have now so some of the the aspects of flowers and cards emerged not too long afterwards like within 10 to 15 years um but these peace roots really i think are important and and oh, yeah. i hope we yeah. can find back into them
0: uh, I'd like to get a Veterans for Peace card, Mother's Day card, quoting Julia Ward Howe with that proclamation. To, yeah, that would be great. Uh, I'll send it to you. Okay. And the other thing is that what are these these women's peace groups who were came out uh, after the Civil War? Did they pre or pre predeceased? But they were before. Men, men's groups who actually had some sort of reconciliation. There actually were some uh, Southern men, veterans and, and, and Yankee veterans, who marched together in parades. Uh, that didn't last for a long time, but I wonder if their their activity previous was uh, something that uh, happened earlier rather than the uh Yeah. Or, or if they took some sort of a Example for but I, I think the band's one was not, not for peace. It was just sort of like, you know, buddies were at a war together. We have to shoot each other, but you know, we're sort of comrades in <laughs> arms sort of thing, you know? you know?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Some of these groups actually just sound quite fascinating. It's something I would love to learn more about, like how, how these groups came, you know, came to be and what was the work that they engaged in um because it pretty quickly caught on like this west virginia was the first to kind of have this mother's day as 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 an official day and then it went from there to the federal level um but yeah but these these overtures of reconciliation and these overtures of of who are going to be the midwives to bring it about um, you know, the the mothers of the world, but Julia Ward Howe, you know, kind of gets at gets at it upstream and says, you know, well let's let's not do it in the first place. Like yeah. let's have that be the work of peace that I'm not gonna train my sons to injure yours and you don't train yours to injure mine. And let's solve it in a different kind of way.
0: There's actually a, a, a and I've got a copy of the sheet music which is I never trained. I, I never taught my. I, not, I never trained my my son to be a soldier. There's actually a sheet music, which was a uh, after the war, first world war. There was a little bit more anti-war sentiment, understandably, um, and uh, actually before the war too. Um, you may recall it, no less a person as Eugene Debs went to war, went opposed the war went to jail for for sedition for a couple of years yeah. uh, so it's 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 good to know that that sort of history is it's like uh, Veterans Day which has been co-opted and uh, I don't know we should maybe say next next uh Mother's Day do a demonstration with veterans for peace with Julia Ward Howe and so uh, yeah. re-, re reimagine or to get back to the original sort of uh point which was as you mentioned this is this Day of peace, you know, a reconciliation.
1: Right.
0: Oh, great. Well, that was, was it. Was you have any other uh, uh, tidbits <laughs> to share on this?
1: That was, that, that was the tidbit was Julia and her kind of amazing letter, which which when you read it could easily have been written today. Like just as poignant. You know, just as just as meaningful in what it captures that we're not raising our young people just to then throw them away. Like yeah. The-
0: now was that was the uh, was that uh, Clara Barton? But uh, the uh, founder of the Red Cross. She, she was a nurse in in Crimea, wasn't she? Is uh, was that right, Clara Barton? Wasn't she involved so. in? Peace work after that it was a mm. awful war yeah founder of the red cross I don't know um, well you're you're uh, what do you tell your daughter you've got one daughter right I do yeah and uh, and, and you, she's almost old enough she's a teenager right now yeah she is uh, household full of teens so how do you how do you how do you talk to her about you know what if you if you can talk to her about it well not necessarily about being a mother but about being a mother and a soldier
1: yeah yeah what's what's kind of interesting is temperamentally she she would be a fantastic soldier (laughs) (laughs) just because her, her constitution, she just has a very hardy constitution. She's not easily, she's not easily flappable. Not that, I mean, you can, you can learn to not be flappable when you need to. That's not the issue, but she just has, some of it comes very naturally. Um, So, so she's 13. So she's, you know, she's still a little ways off, Um, but when she does hit high school and, you know, I'm not a big fan of recruiters in the high schools. Right. Um, right. And those, those things do start to show up. Um, so we will definitely be having, we're, we're a year and a half away from high school for her. So we will be having some conversation. But I mean, as,
0: as far as I, as much as she'll listen to you uh, talk about, you know, you being a, a soldier, a, a woman, of course, and mother, that uh does that ever come come up or has it come up with talking with conversation with your daughter
1: um i i think at this point i think she doesn't think it's unusual um uh, just because it's it's she hasn't known really any different like you yeah. isn't, isn't everybody's mother a veteran of the back <laughs> yeah. <of> afghanistan war <laughs> um but I, and she has seen me enough, uh, you know, at her own elementary school, Veterans Day, they often invite the uh, the parents who are veterans to come back, you know, to come to the, par- sometimes there's a parade or an assembly. So, right. So, so she's been part of that. Um, she, she's kind of got Veterans for Peace just on the back of her hand. Like I think right. she thinks That's everybody's. Mother dragged them to Veterans for Peace <laughs> things and events, <laughs> right? Like you know, so she she's thirteen, so her world is just now starting to really open and expand, and so she may come across that that's a, a little bit more of an unusual experience.
0: Yeah, but you know, she doesn't talk about any sort of feedback she has with her contemporaries in school about mom being a, Iraq vet and pastor
1: um yeah not not quite yet like I think well for a while you know for all of her elementary years I think she just thought it was normal now she's in middle school and she just she you know she doesn't want to have anything to do with me she's like can you drop me
0: you drop me off
1: walk away from school (laughs) and 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 now she's old enough to say and i don't want to go to the veterans for peace meetings with you anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah. well they can, they can be pretty boring really. <laughs> you got to you got to have a high tolerance of pain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so but but she's she, these things are pretty familiar for her. um so i think it'll be interesting to see kind of where life takes her when when you start off life kind of with piece as a second language or at least some familiarity with it you know it it took me i only came to it in my adult life um uh, but i think it's kind of a different experience when kids are exposed to these concepts earlier on
0: yeah it, i think it's it's a it's a uh you know it's a good exposure and something that a lot of kids frankly quite frankly don't have so, i mean just sort of uh, Talk about look at look at look at things look at the world through a different sort of prison uh, as opposed to a, it's a bigger picture. Yeah. Well, let's see, we're probably wasted enough time. You, 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 got, you got any final thoughts, Kelly I think we've covered quite a lot. You, you actually have, and, and thank you very much for for coming to coming on this program to short notice. It, it's been great though because. We've never done a program like this with the women and and, uh, mothers and that sort of thing for uh, Mother's Day. It's uh, kind of an unusual program.
1: One of the things I like about it is um, is it just tells a different piece of the story. So a lot of women veterans, you know, one of the pieces that gets emphasized and focused on is some of the challenges of being in the military and the assault problem that's happening and, uh, you know, whether... Veterans care is meets the needs of women. And these are all very good things to focus on. Um, But in doing so, I think sometimes we lose this other kind of piece of so many of the women veterans are extraordinary people with such a wide capacity for life, right? They, They have excelled in motherhood. They have excelled as soldiers. They have excelled in as NCOs and officers um, that they really are some, some of our best, I would say. Uh, I, if I was commanding a unit, I would not hesitate for one minute to have a unit full of mothers. Like I, I would almost prefer it because they know what they're fighting for. They've got a very clear sense of the world. Um, and so, so I think sometimes, you know bringing out that that aspect that you know mothers and women have an enormous capacity for courage for discipline um to really take on the world on their terms so i think this was yeah. i think was a good way to kind of highlight that thread of the experience of being a female veteran
0: yeah okay uh Kelly. Kelly Winesworth, thanks a lot for coming on the show. This is KODX 96.9, broadcast on KODX 96.9. And my name is Mike Dietert for Veterans for Peace, Chapter 92. I'm the vice president. I'm also a Vietnam veteran. So thanks again, Kelly.
1: Thanks, Mike.